0: Hello, and welcome to another Industry Careers for PhDs podcast brought to you by Cheeky Scientist. I'm your host, Isaiah Henkel, and today we will be talking with Aaron Kralikowicz on recruiting in the biopharmaceutical industry. Um, uh, Specifically, Aaron uh, is a talent acquisition specialist with uh, Genentech. If you'd like to hear the entire interview, go to CheekyScientist.com backslash Association, uh, where you can learn how to not only get access to all of our interviews, but learn how to get access to our complete job. Uh, blueprint, our job search blueprint uh, for PhDs, as well as our private PhD level job referral network. Again, that's uh, that's CheekyScientist.com backslash association. Uh, If you want all of our podcasts delivered to your inbox as they come out, as well as all all of our free articles, just go to our homepage, CheekyScientist.com, and enter your name and email address um, at the bottom of the homepage. And finally, you can get access to all of our podcasts at any time uh, on iTunes. So again, today we will be talking with Aaron Krolokowicz um, on recruiting in biopharma. Um, We'll get started and jump in now. So, thank you, Aaron, for being with us. Um, We're very excited to talk to you.
1: Yes, thank you for having me.
0: Okay, so thank you everyone for the warm welcome. Do me a favor and welcome Aaron in the chat box, if you would. It's not every day that we get to have on someone who's had you know such uh, in-depth experience working with multiple uh, top companies. And uh, it's, it's great to have you on. So we'd like to always start fairly, fairly simple here and uh, kind of break down you know, some of the, the misconceptions and, and really how recruiting and talent acquisition works. Uh, but before that, maybe you can just start very simply and kind of walk us through, give us a, a general overview of the overall hiring process for a company like Genitech, Amgen, and so yeah. forth.
1: So Genentech, um, as many of you know, is the first biotech company um, ever to be in business. We're 40 years old, and we're part of the Roche family. So we're actually part of the large pharmaceutical organization, uh, Roche, which employs about 80,000 people across the world. Genentech is located in South San Francisco. We have about 15,000 employees that are working in research and development, and also all the supporting functions for um, making drugs. So Mm. um, the process is very unique in large pharma, because we have so many different roles and skill sets that we do try to fill. So um, I would say the first step in the process for recruitment is really to identify the need. So this is something that um, individuals like myself do with the business, is we look at what needs We have, whether that's in research or development or other areas, Um, and then we will um, work with different support functions in HR, like um, compensation, our HR business partners, and so on, Mm -hmm. to really define what that skill set would look like. And then from there, the process begins where we start looking for candidates. We will post a position publicly, as many of you probably see on our website or on LinkedIn or, indeed, other sites. And um, and then we start looking at resumes and talking with candidates who could be prospectively a good fit for the role.
0: Great. And, you know, no, no curveballs there for everyone who's listening in terms of, of what to expect and how the process works. Now, one thing that we get a kind of a wide variety of perspectives and opinions on is when we break it down and we, when we talk about resumes specifically, because some recruiters, talent acquisition, they say, you know what? Of course we don't get through every resume right we get through the resumes yeah. that come in earliest first uh we you know of course we look, some are, some say we look at every resume uh some say that we have the applicant tracking software weed out some of it for for in your experience what have you seen in terms of the resumes that come in which ones are actually looked at how quickly they're filtered through uh what filtering systems you used, even human or automated
1: yes yeah. So at this time, um, the closest thing we have to automation is that we may have questions up front that a candidate must answer. Um, If the role is specific to a certain skill set that requires um, a level of degree or education, then that's one of the questions that may be automated and attached to Mm. applying for a position. But we do not use any artificial intelligence at this time to sort candidates through the resumes are actually viewed by humans. So we are looking at the resumes to see who would be a fit for the positions based on the candidate skill set and the criteria that set forth on the job description.
0: Okay. So when you're looking at a resume, um, well, let's talk about this. So, depending, and I'm sure it's just there's different uh, teams on different departments, what would be the ratio of resumes that come in versus? Humans looking at them and how many resumes per open position on average? I'm sure it varies widely, but any of these kind of numbers are really, uh, really help everybody, everybody, especially, you know, who's coming into a job search new understand in terms of perspective, what kind of competition's out there?
1: Yeah. So I think a really good bench to um, consider would uh, would be, thinking about the level of the position. So obviously, an entry-level position that has very light requirements, you know, let's say a bachelor bachelor's degree with, you know, a couple years of experience, there's probably going to be a lot of candidates that apply directly for that position. So if that's a position like a biologist or a chemist-type position, then, you um, you know, there's going to be a lot of individuals that we have to sort through. What we do practice... Hundreds. So what we do practice at Genentech is if we get to a certain point where the position has been open for a couple weeks and we have vetted through, let's say, the first 25% of the applicants that have come through and we've identified a pool that would be a match for the position... Then, the, then we usually will not continue to keep the position open or we will not continue to keep looking at more and more resumes we have to draw a line somewhere when it sure. comes to candidate selection so
0: so to, um, to, and it's just it's just temporal like the the earliest it, there's a ranking for the time that those resumes right. came in so yeah. people need to be setting up google alerts basically and like waiting for that's the right. postings mm-hmm. so and we haven't really that's talked a lot about, about google alerts before for those of you listening but it's something you should do, just go to google.com backslash alert, and you can set up an alert for any keyword. Um, thank you for that clarification. That's, that's great to know. Mm-hmm. Um, and you said 25%. So really, there, there's hundreds and hundreds of resumes that don't get looked at. Is there something that you do to, in terms of zeroing in on keywords? Uh, other than just job? I mean, obviously, we know job titles, names, education, any other kind of like specific language or f- the way that a resume is framed that you look at that you can just tell given your extensive knowledge on it? that this is a good candidate?
1: Yeah, so we do analyze the resume. So if we have a position open, let's say, for example, in protein chemistry, if we have a protein chemistry position open, typically at companies like Genentech that are doing the true drug discovery and development, there is more of a particular nuance to that role. So it may be protein chemistry with an emphasis in antibody drug conjugates, or, you know, some other type of Um, requirement that will make a candidate stand out beyond others. So that's just really looking very closely at the role. If that information is not readily available, um, you know, we try to make that as upfront as possible. And usually that information is found in the summary of the role where -hmm. you'll look at, um, you know, what this position actually entails. So look for those keywords yourself too. So if you see, you know, a protein chemistry position, and you want to know whether you're qualified, look at what the person's actually going to be doing, and then that can be a, a really good indicator.
0: And so for the for the job postings, for example, like the keywords in the job postings, you'd want to pay attention. Do you, does your team have any influence over the language used in the job posting, or is that strictly HR? Like, What's kind of the interplay between you and the other teams uh, for hiring, whether it's so, HR or the department that's actually they're going to be hired into, et cetera?
1: So the role, we are part of HR, so we do have huh. influence over the way that that looks. But the actual description um, comes from the business. So the hiring manager is the person who uh, describes the role and puts in the detail of the position. Where we help influence the role is we set what the minimum qualifications are. There has to be a standard for that we're held to by OFCCP compliance, which is the government, Mm. tells us that we have to um, adhere to certain rules such as, you know, the minimum requirement around education and the number of years of experience or what we we must define in the job description. Mm. And okay. that's an, a- an actually a filter for us too. So if we have a position, let's say that's posted as a PhD with two plus years experience, if we have individuals at a master's and bachelor's level that are applying, then we typically will not look at those individuals or consider them because they're not meeting that minimum requirement.
0: Okay. And in in terms of those regulations, that's something we're always curious about. Um, I don't know if it matters more for like, a because you've had experience with different types of companies, you know, uh, in terms of a job posting, like a job has to be Mm -hmm. posted for a certain amount of time. If the company's publicly traded, like, is there any other kind of regulations that you can enlighten us on, um, in terms of the job postings themselves?
1: Yes, so a position, if it is one that is going external, and um, even, you know, we know that we might have an internal candidate, we still do have to have it posted for at least three days externally, Um, and then that could be taken down if we do not get candidates in those three days, and then we have the internal pool. Um, The federal... Um, guidelines that we're held accountable to is the fact that we do, um, have government contracts. So we do have to consider candidates, you know, based on their qualifications. So that's really what we have to adhere to. Um, we can't go outside of that because then that could be, you know, if we consider one candidate outside of those minimum qualifications, then we would have to consider all candidates. So we're mm. really very cognizant of following those guidelines.
0: And and which kind of minif- minimum qualifications are you talking about again?
1: Um, that's the education requirement so and then the education. years of experience. Yeah. Okay. So sometimes you'll see something that says zero years of experience, which may seem odd. But really what that means is somebody coming right out of academia.
0: Yeah. And it's surprising because we, we have a, obviously most of our uh, PhDs, their first jobs are zero years. But they'll apply to, you know, yeah. we, st- we see on, on average the two to five year one. And they apply, and a lot of them get hired with the two to five years. So I'm guessing you just have to. How would that work then in, in your case where you can't not have the two? Can you count postdoctoral work? Can you not count graduate school work as. Yeah. Okay. I
1: Great. mean, I think that, you know, and I would. I think that you always want to think of the minimum. So if it says zero years minimum, sure. if you have a few years that's okay. The the range is something we really try to move away from because again, you could have somebody that counts their PhD graduate work as experience. Yes. So that could maybe mean that they have 7 years of experience in their mind
0: mm. where,
1: you know, others may say that they are only counting their postdoctoral experience. So that's very subjective.
0: Sure. That's
1: where we we encourage our business partners um, in HR to frame that as two plus years, or you know, to get out of the range piece because huh. it may make people feel like they're being excluded if they have more than that
0: range. Okay, very interesting. So I'm does gonna, that make sense. It does make sense. I'm just curious, like if I'm applying for a job out of graduate school, let's say, because postdoc, we, you know, there's there's more experience there. So let's take the, you know, the the case scenario where you've been in academia your whole life, you're a graduate student how would you frame something on a resume to at least get looked at? Would you say, you know, graduate research assistant, would you, let's say I, and I applied to a job that required a certain number of experience. Um, what, how about, well, from your point of view, what have you trained the hiring managers to look for in that case? Like, are they just looking for words like graduate research assistant to know that that's a different kind of experience or I'm just trying no, to, I would
1: say, more. you know, the, I would say that the first thing we look at, we we look at the top part of the resume. So if you have two years of working in protein expression as a graduate assistant, just call it out that way. If that's what the role is calling for,
0: Hmm. you know,
1: always make, tailor your resume towards what the job description is, as long as you're being transparent, of course, and honest. You know, and if you have been working as a biochem, you have a biochemistry PhD, but two years of that is actually working in protein expression, hmm. doing certain projects, even as a mentor, or if you've worked on specific publications around that area, highlight that at the very top of the CV so that we can actually see that. And then that pulls us in even more to find out about yes. the
0: candidate. Exactly what I was looking for. So thank you for that. And and so again, for those of you listening, that's the crucial part, like your experience with the techniques and the skills that they're looking for. It's not like you have to have exact industry experience at a company so you know that's why we talk a lot about pulling out the highlights just like aaron just said putting it in your professional summary at the top of the resume crucial part the most important part obviously of your resume and you just heard it from aaron as well so uh one other piece to this kind of puzzle i think and then we can kind of get back on back on script is uh referrals this is something we hear all different things too and a lot of whether it's talent acquisition recruiters whatever they they're they can get kind of picky on what they want to see, you know, for example, we've heard get your referrals, but make sure you also put yourself in the system, right? Don't just think that the referral's enough. Um, we've heard some people say referrals you know of course they help a little bit, but not much. Other people say, yeah, a referral is huge if it's from the right person so what what kind of ref- from your point of view where do referrals kind of fit in? Obviously, you know we see it over and over again you get a referral I mean these are where most of the hires are coming from. That we're seeing, we don't, you know, it's it's much more rare to not know anybody in the company, upload a resume, and get hired um, than it is to know somebody, get that referral, and then get an interview and get hired. So, from your point of view, yes, what,
1: I what I agree, mm. I agree. You know, I think about my own experience, and most of my um, positions were because I knew somebody within the company. The person would reach, you know, that I've worked with previously had reached out to me and said, "We have a position. Would you be interested?" Um, you know, so I think having a referral, it's a really a door opener for you, especially if it's somebody that's a trusted source for you. So let's say you know a scientist that's working at Genentech and the scientist comes to you and says, we have a new position open. Is this something that might interest you? And you're interested. That person giving their endorsement of you as a candidate has a lot of weight. And as you've already pointed out, Isaiah, we look we have to look at hundreds of CVs sometimes. So if we have one of our employees saying, you know, um Joe is a great candidate and I think you should consider him for this role, it does help to get more attention mm-hmm. towards the candidate for sure.
0: Yeah. So again, this is something you've for those of you listening you've heard heard over and over again, but it's it's great to hear it once again, especially from somebody, you know, who's worked with Genentech, Amgen and so forth. Um that being said, you want to attack your job search from every different angle, of course. And another angle we haven't touched on yet is your LinkedIn profile. So what can you tell us, just a, a bird's eye view, how you use LinkedIn? Um, and we'll just start there to get your kind of, from your point of view, and then I'll ask a few more questions.
1: Sure. So the way that we use LinkedIn is we do um, specific candidate searching. So we do Boolean searching for a particular roles. Those of us that are in a head capacity at roles like or at companies like Genentech and AMGEN, um, we are aligned to specific groups where we're looking for candidates with a very complex background. So again, I'll use the example of antibody drug conjugates. If I'm looking for somebody that has that specific background, I'm going to be looking for key terms such as ADC and the words spelled out antibody drug conjugate. I look mm-hmm. for you know, um, what institutions they're working at, what their pedigree is, and so on. So we have certain filters that we look for. Um, If you want to work in a certain area...
0: Sorry, because no, that's... uh, So when you say look for, you mean like search... In LinkedIn. Like, search.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We're looking for you. Yeah. We'll reach out. Mm-hmm.
0: No, that's crucial because so what she just said is that she'll search an acronym and the actual word as in like a, right. a LinkedIn search, like a like a Google search, typing it in the computer for all of the of you that know. So it's it's that literal. So don't think that you know you want to change these different words and be clever. It's that literal for the search terms.
1: Um, yeah. I think and, you know, I th- I've think i seen with LinkedIn where people are, now, and I think this is the LinkedIn influence, but this does not really apply to those of us working in science. I see people using creative titles around, you know, scientific innovator. It sounds great, but when it comes to the actual search process for us, we're looking for you as a postdoc, a graduate mm-hmm. student, a scientist. We're not looking, we, we don't have the ability to break down all those um, creative titles that people are applying. So if you're if you're really serious about finding a position, I would stick to what your actual role is because that's what we're looking for.
0: No, that's very helpful too, and I think that's an important clarifying point because you know we obviously say put the exact keywords in your headline. It's the most important in terms of LinkedIn search algorithm. Yeah. Um, we do say put in, and I would love to hear your take, even if you're just like, don't ever do that we always say just cause it's a conversation starter, at least one of those little terms, you can add something that shows you're well-rounded outside of science. What is your take on that? Um, do you actually care at all if they have any other things going on besides what you're looking for as a recruiter on, on their LinkedIn profile or their resume like the volunteer organizations or whatever. No. just no. the nuts and bolts? You
1: know what? Yeah, it's, It's really for linked. So the way that we use the linked, at least at Genentech, and I can only speak from my own perspective, but the way that my team and I look for candidates is we're really focused on your skill set and experience. We will vet out all of your softer skills, as people call them, or some of those transferable skills during our conversation. But really, we want to just get to the core of what you've been doing so that we can align that to, again, the minimum qualifications of a position.
0: Great, and and that goes in line with a question we had come came, come in about soft skills. So, of course, these are important. They're usually not important until later in the process. So, you never want to sacrifice, obviously, yeah. the the core skill sets, the actual keywords that are in the job posting. Never sacrifice this to the softer skills or being clever. Um, but at the same time, sprinkling some of those in, especially on a LinkedIn profile that has a million sections now, is fine for later. Yeah. Um. Great clarifying point. And what is what does it look like from your end in terms of LinkedIn? Because you there's a, there's a recruiter type of LinkedIn, right? So more advanced. Yep. So what are some of the filters that that view of LinkedIn has? I'm just curious.
1: You know, there's a lot of filters. Um, we actually try not to over-filter because that can get tricky too. Again, when it comes to something um, specific like around the years of experience, what I – May think are as your years of experience could um, be different from what you mm-hmm. believe. So the filters that we typically use are around again the we do boolean around specific key terms. Um, if there is you know, and LinkedIn doesn't have every single skill that we we'd like, but if there is a role that we're working on that's specific to like protein expression or you know biomarker technology, then we will we'll put that information into, but we really try to not make it so narrow. Mm. Um, you know, that's the other thing that's tricky with the titles is we have the functionality to break it down by title, but people have different titles within different um, academic yeah. institutions and also in industry. So we really it, it's it comes down to the the core skill set and those keywords, like I mentioned.
0: Perfect. Yeah. And so you mentioned the word Boolean, just so for everybody knows, this is where you can search for like, search for this, but not this, or this and yeah. this, or this, but not this, stuff like this. So it helps. It, it just is a, it's a search function. And for, you know, everyone here has research experience. Think about how you would search something on PubMed. If you're too specific, yeah. you're not going to find what you want. So this is the same kind of thinking that goes into searching for the right candidates. Uh, yeah, Which so the, we
1: also do use PubMed to search, so we are looking for you on PubMed. If we find you on PubMed, then we will go, then go over LinkedIn to find more information about you. So we have a lot of ways of trying to find scientific talent, but PubMed is absolutely one of them, and Google Scholar. Yep.
0: So, and I, I love that because I think if sometimes we can forget that. I mean, this is your job. This is your sole purpose. Like you, and it's it's a little bit competitive too. You want to find the best candidate, so you're going after it. Right. And that's why, you know, for some of you who maybe you've had a call with different recruiters, whatever else, know your audience. It's much more to the point. Like they just they have these things that you need to hit with the technical skills. You brought up protein expression, et cetera. Really, you just want to look at the job posting and whatever you can from referrals or informational interviews to know what those words are. Now, for transferable skills, I want to dip into those a little bit. I know they're not important until later. But are there certain things that you really look for in terms of transferable skills from PhDs, like any non-technical skills, even if it's verbiage or, or whatever?
1: Yeah. So I would say the, the big ones that we look for are clear and concise communication skills. Really, um, that's probably number one. Also being collaborative So any way that you can demonstrate and give examples of how you've collaborated, that's great, especially for a company like Genentech, which has a very academic-like setting. Um, I would also say, in addition to that, you know, looking for people who have agility. You know, right now we're working at a time where you may be hired to do a certain project, but then that project could go away based on what happens with the molecule. And we need you to now work on something else. So having that open mindset Mm. to be agile and work with the business needs.
0: I love that word a lot. And I'm going to put that on there. Um, I'm going to type that in for all of you. You know, we heard things like flexibility and stuff, but really agility is a much better descriptor. Um, Thank you for that. So let's, let's turn the conversation a little bit now to like the don'ts, what you hate to see on resumes What would just give you a bad kind of taste in your mouth right away on a candidate's big fails that you've seen even after the resume process, like on the initial phone screen? Maybe we can start with a few of those.
1: Sure. I think from a resume standpoint, the biggest – I wouldn't say that I I, I dislike or hate, but where I see candidates maybe – not being clear with what they actually do. So they we mm-hmm. don't mind looking at a 20-page CV. We're, we're fine with looking at your um, publications and everything. But when it comes to your actual role, be really concise. You know, get to the point of what your function is. So if you're a graduate assistant and you're working on a specific project, just put that out there. You don't need to write, uh, you know, three or four paragraphs about it. Just put the main points of what your work is. So include those keywords, include how you're, you know, possibly leading or doing some type of resource management, anything that could apply Mm. to the type of work that would be listed on the position, right? So if we're, if you're looking at a lab head position and they need somebody who can not only be a scientific leader, but also manage resources, highlight that in your, your CV and your actual skill function. And then please, for positions that are in science, if you're looking to stay on the bench, keep all your publications, patents, everything on the CV. That's very relevant to at least um, the way Genentech and Amgen and other companies that I work for. We're all looking for that. We want to see what you've done. And um, that's really important to us. so that's the CV point. Do you want me to go into the other point or do you have a que- another question?
0: No, no. I think this, yeah, let's let's move on to, because uh, I want to talk about phone screens. Well, first, maybe you can clarify yeah. where your part ends. Like, you do, do you do phone screens yourself?
1: Yes. I talk to candidates myself. So whether that's a direct applicant or somebody that I've headhunted, hmm. I will speak with you first. Um, as a representative of the company, I want you to have some information about the role. But also, I'd like to hear what you know about us. So we get, you know, it's. Mm. I think as an employer, we want to know why you want to work for Genentech. Mm. Um, that's, I think, one of the the two biggest pet peeves I have when it comes to candidates is, w- number one, if they don't know anything about our science and what we're doing. I mean, we're very mission-driven. We've been around for 40 years. We have an amazing portfolio, not only in research, but also on the market. Um So we've made such a huge impact on the industry. We want to know that you also have done a little bit of research to find that out for yourself. Mm. But the second piece is when a candidate will come to us on LinkedIn and say, um, you know, I'm a graduate student. Can you help me find a job? So we're not an agency. Those of us that are working at the company have to understand that we're actually working to to fill the need for the company. We don't Mm. act as agents for candidates. So, if you are interested in our position, come equipped with the position that you're interested in, and let us help you that way. I mean, the more information you provide up front, the more that we can engage with you. otherwise we're we're not going to conduct a search for you within our own company to find the right position. It's just that would be an impossible undertaking for all the candidates that we have reaching out to us.
0: Mm. And so, stay on the phone screen for a minute. You want to obviously see how enthusiastic they are about the yes. position. you also want to see. What they know about the company, you want to see they've done their homework, all that stuff. What else are you looking for on a phone screen?
1: We're looking for examples. So whether that's an example of the specific work that you're doing, um, you know, if you're leading a project in biochemistry, you know, or discovery oncology, tell us about that how How did you lead? Who did you lead? What did you do? How did it make an impact? Those are the types of things that we want to hear.
0: Thank you for joining us for another Industry Careers for PhDs podcast. If you're interested in attending one of these interviews live, or if you're interested in getting access to the full interview, including all of the background materials and show notes, go to cheekyscientist.com backslash association and learn how to become a associate. Uh, You can get on the wait list for the next association enrollment period there, and learn full details about the program. It's a program specifically designed to help PhDs transition uh, into top industry positions. If you would like to see receive more of these interview highlights uh, via our podcast uh, sent directly to your email, go to cheekyscientist.com and email subscribe under where it says start here. If you haven't already, you can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. Um, Until next week, remember your value as a PhD and start thinking and acting like a successful industry professional.